Hello everyone and welcome to the Constructed Criticism Network. This network is here to help you improve in Magic the Gathering at every level. From popper leagues to top 1000 mythic, we've got you covered. If you want to hear the entire network, head on over to our sponsor at puremtgo.com where you can hear each and every show, each and every week, and check out their sponsor, MDGO Traders, and tell them that the CCMTG Network sent you. Now sit back, enjoy the show. From YouTube, podcasts, and more, here's this week's episode from ConstructedCriticism.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 447th episode of Constructed Criticism. I am your host, Mason, and I'm joined by my co-host, Abe Stein, today. Abe, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's, uh, you know, crunch time for the RC is a possible. We still got a little bit of time to process standard, so I'm not going to into that this week. Sorry to bait all of the listeners, but, uh, you know, it's just been an exciting, exciting month of magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, our Patreon question this week does involve uh, standards. So if you want to hear that, you have to listen to the whole thing. There's no way to skip ahead on podcast devices. So you're just out of luck. You're going to unfortunately have to listen to a great episode all about modern this week. We're going to be catching you up on modern. A lot of stuff has happened. All be one really sort of shook up the format with a few cards. Uh, and that sort of caused a lot of ripples in the format. And so we're going to talk about that and sort of help get you ready for the RCQ season as well. Since uh, the next one's Pioneer, but the one after that's Modern, we're very much aware that Modern is an incredibly expensive format. And giving you some lead time with, you know, we can't promise you the absolute best deck going into that season. But from what we've seen so far with the Modern Horizons era, a lot of decks we're going to talk about today have stuck around in some iteration, whether they're Tier 1 or Tier 2. So we're going to go over some of those today to help you get ready for that but uh, first, we wanted to talk really quickly. Um, so Spencer's got some stuff going on this week. He's not here. However, there was this thing that happened, and we, we mentioned it slightly on the show a little while ago. Um, but basically, um, we, we got some feedback on the show uh, that was just sort of mean-spirited and bordering on harassment, if not just harassment, uh, towards you know one of the hosts of the show. And we we are all about improving and wanting to do better. And if the feedback is, you know, in the light and in the vein of trying to make the show better, even if it's like, you know, saying something bad about the show, we don't actually mind or care. We want to hear that, you know, like we don't mind if you're like, Oh yeah, this show's episode, this episode this week is really bad. Y'all sort of did this thing that really sort of botched it. That's great. However, making the things personal and making it called out like, just really rude stuff that I'd rather not repeat that have nothing to do with the episode. That's just like bullying and harassment. And one of you left the comment the last week. And I would honestly just prefer if you stopped listening to the podcast. I don't really care that you think I know what I'm doing or whatever. I think you're sort of a bad person. And I hope that in time and calling you out here that you'll understand why saying those mean things about somebody isn't helpful and is also just sort of like mean spirited. And I hope that in time you can do better and come back and, you know, have a moment where you change and grow from this. But uh, honestly, I just hope you stop listening. And if I could prevent you from listening to the episodes, I would. Yeah, I I completely echo that sentiment. I mean, I don't want to get too into um, what I said, but feedback that specifically, you know, is not really actionable, is targeted, is... Um, you know, not constructive, but really just trying to to bring someone down, um, especially in a context of, you know, expressing, you know, in context that you uh, 
you know, don't like someone personally, but you seem to like the other viewpoints on the podcast personally, and that's why you're doing it. Um, both Mason and I, and also Spencer, all of us believe that we are putting forth the best podcast that we can together as a group of three every week. It's not, that's not something that changes, you know, that's not something that we're doing to compromise for each other. No, we all think that, and we all believe that we are putting together and forth the best show we can every week when we're doing that. You know, we are always trying to improve and we do want that feedback and we do appreciate the reviews that we receive because that gives us things to work on. Um, but, you know, the idea that, you know, like Mason said, just because you think that any one individual's viewpoint is good or bad, all of us as a show stand by all of each other's viewpoints as being valid and we want to present them. And so, um, you know, not everything that's going to be said on the show is going to be something that, you know, really resonates with you or is going to be, you know, something actionable for you or is going to mean a lot to you. But as a show, you know, as a podcast, we put it together for that reason. And like Mason said, you know, if you aren't okay with that and you want, you know, you want to cherry pick who it is that you think is good for the podcast, you know what? That's not your job. You, in fact, get to listen to what we put together or you don't. And there's not really that aspect of it and targeting, you know, any any aspect of it in that way is just not acceptable. So you really shouldn't do that. You should learn to do better, uh, like Mason said, and I hope that you do because it's really just not okay. Yeah. Everyone is someone's favorite and everyone's someone's least favorite and you can just live your life and you want to give them feedback, it's great, and just give them actionable feedback. That is what we all want on the show and we all sort of strive for. Things that aren't like that are just bad and not helpful. And with that, let's move on to always improving. That is the main point of the show. Uh, if you're not, you know, improving, then you're sort of, you know, not pushing yourself as much. And that is what we want on the show. And that is sort of how we all approach life and magic. And Abe, I believe you went first last week. So I'll go first this week here. Uh, okay. so I, I think Spencer was just dodging that he knew he was first up on the always improving. And he just <laughs> he was just like, oh, yeah, I've got some stuff going on. I got to go. So I, I see you, Spencer. Uh, my always improving uh, this last week from this last week was really about time management. Um, I have been doing you know the coaching thing like full-time-ish now uh for the last gosh i guess this is week three of it it's hard to believe how much time has gone by uh but and i mentioned a little bit before about how like i've been trying to do better about all those sort of things and make sure that i spend time on myself and i don't overindulge on magic but and this one is sort of a failing where i didn't carve out enough time for the tournament i was going to and I didn't get to spend as much time working on modern as I was like. And when I'm going to go to these events and do these sort of things, I need to make sure that I am spending time, even if it might mean I'm a little bit more burnt out on magic than I would like to be. I'm spending a little bit too much more time. I need to strike the balance a bit better because I just didn't spend any real time on modern outside of like getting my uh patreon update happened for four color so i felt like on sunday i was good but a lot changes between like a sunday and a friday especially when like your deck goes from being a deck that people aren't talking about to like one the mana trader series people are talking about it a bunch like you, you know like admittedly like i knew a bunch of people there who were talking about like oh what do you think about four color now da, 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 da. i knew people were making shifts and i should have shifted accordingly and so uh sort of a, a failing on my part there to not you know strike a little bit of a better balance and that's something that you know i'm sure i'm gonna have to deal with for the coming months uh but i'm excited to strike that balance with 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's definitely you know that's a pretty constant struggle, especially. Um, it, it's kind of a blurred line for you, right? When you're mm-hmm. coaching and doing content, whatever, trying to carve out time because it is so different doing those things. Um, you know, being ready for content for reasons and for coaching reasons, being on top of things in that regard and being on top of, okay, what is it I'm playing on exactly this weekend? Not what's going on in the format so I can help someone approach in a holistic sense. It's just two different like forms of knowledge that you need to have. And uh, yeah, it's definitely tough to prioritize that time. So, you know, I know that you were a little bit disappointed with your performance in, uh, in Charlotte. So hopefully you're able to, you know, take that and, and learn that as you were kind of, you know, navigating this, this big change of going full time. So mm-hmm. Um, my always improving this week was actually a big, well, it's, I'm going to say a big back to basics, but it's kind of an advanced basics and, and I'll get into what that is. So, um, this weekend, the magic that I played because I can't play any RCQs because I'm already qualified and there's not really anything else was that there was a sealed store championship at a local, local store on Sunday. And... Uh, I wound up being on the outside looking in. My seal pool wasn't that great, uh, but I like, you know, went 3-2, missed on tiebreakers, you know, how it is. Um, but there was a match that I played where it was absolutely, I wound up winning this match, but it was absolutely defined by my ability to successfully bluff attack my opponent on like the third turn of the game or the fourth turn of the game to get my opponent corrupted so that I could start to, like, my cards were actually good enough to start to stabilize. My opponent was, like, absolutely ahead. Um, you know, I was at this point where if I don't do anything, I'm definitely going to lose. And I made this bluff attack that that got the, the Toxic in because they were, like, far enough ahead that, you know, maybe they could afford it. And when I came back around, like, and won that game, it made me think about how much equity I've probably been leaving on the table in not not just like not bluff attacking more, but not bluffing more in general. And I think that was something that back when we did our um, fearless magic inventories, that was something where I definitely had talked about wanting to improve at it at the time. And it definitely was something that had fallen by the wayside. So, um, you know, thinking back to like that match, how it really valued me. There was another match I had of just like a random like booster draft where I played I played an entire game where I had a cancel in my hand and it was very clear I had a cancel in my hand. I thought to myself, if I just played the game without the cancel in my hand, this game we went Drago for like seven turns or whatever before my opponent could two spell into it in a game of limited. If I just did that against that same opponent without it, like how much that would have changed. So really just trying to take more time and active space to think about where it is I can bluff my opponents and how it is I can do that, even though it's like a very, very risky maneuver. Um, and really trying to look for more opportunities to do that because when I saw when I sought that opportunity and I did it over the weekend, it did directly yield me being able to compete in that match compared to just losing that game. Um, and and I credit it for like winning that match period. So um, yeah, that's that's what I'm working on this week, and that's that's me. Yeah, awesome. That's great. I I think bluffing is a thing you know you're here at sloth zone talk about on the podcast talk about like hey stay away and avoid it and the truth is that there should be some middle ground there where every now and again you should you know uh you know pick up the forsaken blade to be really weird about it uh and sort of like you know do the thing and i I find that when your deck has the ability to like do a lot of different things so like sometimes unlimited right like you might have the cancel or like you know, like the the kill spell, or whatever, or like you know, a flash threat or something. Those sort of times, it comes a lot stronger than 
you know, things where you can't do it. So it is really good to think about, like, what can I actually sell my opponent and what are they willing to believe? And I know that a lot of times with four color, I leave up mana, you know, and it's just like they have to play around binding and solitude and counterspell. And it's just like quaddle. It's just so many things to think about. It's just it can be overwhelming, can really trip people up, you know. So Yeah, and the reason that I'll say that, you know, we're often, we often tell listeners to, like, stay away from that kind of avenue of things is that when you bluff, it really does, and it's you're really considering a bluff, right? It's not just like, oh, I have my mana open and I didn't have anything to do with it. It's like you are giving up a very tangible uh, opportunity to cast a spell or to, you know, like, use a card in order to accomplish something in the game that might be better than, like, holding your card and waiting or not using your card immediately because you're going to give up a resource advantage in order to try to gain the opportunity your opponent respects this thing and doesn't do the thing that you can't beat even with your cards. Mm -hmm. So it's like a really, really big gambit to do. And oftentimes when you're really trying to grow and improve, it's not going to be the best thing for you to be thinking about because you're probably going to want to focus on your technical play and just playing the board. So, um, you know, it is something you want to, and that's, that's for me, like, that's kind of where I'm realizing I need to do a little bit more of that in order to grow. I need to push myself into that zone of like, okay, I need to take on this new skill and work it into my game. Um, but, you know, that's something where you gotta, you gotta look and be like, is this the time for me to really focus on that and study it as opposed to, mm -hmm. you know, thinking about the games that you're playing. 100%. That's going to do it for Always Improving this week. Before we get into our main topic of modern, though, Abe, we do have a new sponsor on the show. Uh, so do you want to do our little ad read for them? Yeah. So uh, we did get a brand new sponsor. We've got a sponsor, uh, Bosejuice. Uh, Bosejuice is a legendary and delicious concoction of immune-boosting ingredients. Uh, I drink it every morning before work. Uh, you know, it's been months and months since I've gotten sick. It really does work. Um, you know, it's a it's a drink to shelter all, crafted for those who endure it, Mason. Uh, it's, it's really great. You can find it in stores near you. Yep, love it. Make sure you use code CCMTG at checkout to get 5% off your Bose juice for those who endure. Let's talk about Modern, though, uh, because this is the format that does endure. It doesn't rotate. Modern Horizon sets don't count. Uh, and let's talk about what's going on in Modern, because, you know, last time we talked about Modern on the show, I want to say was right before i had to leave for a little bit so that's gonna be like early december we've had a new set and three months a lot's changed but a lot's the same i think the best place to start is probably talking about murktad regent which actually you know won the 10k in charlotte this past weekend with the scg uh has consistently done well online and is also not that different from when we last left it yeah I, you know there's a lot of things about modern that are still definitely the same which is awesome i think it's really really cool that uh the format has stayed in a position of there being stable good decks we kind of haven't we've had like a lot of boogeyman arise over over the weeks um and, and over the last year like you know yorion four color coming out and being like okay this slowly took over everything or um uh like Luris before that and Death Shadow. So seeing less of that and more of like they're just being cards that are so unignorably good that they're um, kind of defining the format. Cards like, you know, Ragavan, Murktide Regent, um, still the same players that you'd be used to. Uh, but that's that's really kind of where I I feel about the format right now is that everything's kind of the same. You, you still have the same pillars now that are defining it. And it's been really stable for a while. There have been new things 
like Elishnorn enabling some of the old things, like Solitude decks being able to come back and Endurance decks being able to come back, and, and that whole Run and Six Omnath package, all of that coming together again under a, a kind of new roof than the more like four color controly decks that had like Archimedes Charm and stuff. Um, but yeah, the format is still a deck. It's still a format kind of defined by the play patterns of certain cards like Ragavan. And the fact that Murktide, the Is It Murktide deck is still at the forefront of that is really, you know, testament to that, that that's what the format is, is that it's still just about those things. But the way that people are approaching that is really um, kind of grown and, and developed over the last few months. 100%. Abe, let's have a little conversation, though, about Murktide for a second. So, you know, we mentioned it's the same player. We mentioned how things are sort of consistent. I'm curious to hear what your thoughts on Murktide region are, because there are basically, I think, two schools of camps that people talk about it. Some people talk about Murktide being the best deck in modern. It is just, you know, the de facto best. They'll admit that, like, maybe it's not, you know, always 100% in every matchup or whatever every weekend, but, you know, you click the button a million times or whatever, you're going to win the most tournaments playing Murktide, doing that more than any other deck. And then there are people that say, yeah, the deck's like a 40% deck and it allows for player skill and, you know, you're able to sort of overcome people, but when you're behind, you don't really have many ways to catch up outside of slamming a Murktide off the top. So, Abe, what do you think about the Murktide deck in Modern? So I think that right now, uh, it's hard for me to talk about the Murktide deck in Modern without also talking about the um, the Fair Breach decks in Modern. Because mm -hmm. I think that what's really arisen in Modern is a dynamic where the blue and red cards are so good. Unholy Heat, Bolt, um, you know, Ragavan, Dragon Race Channeler, uh, Ledger Shredder to some extent. All these cards are really, really good. And you have a lot of ways to fill your graveyard because you're casting a lot of cheap spells in order to enable some of these cards. And then there is a question of, well, what are you going to do with all of your, you know, you have the access to playing these good delve spells or playing, you know, a card like Underworld Breach. What is it you're doing on your top end? And I think that um, Murktide Regent is currently what I would say the easier targeted of the two options between playing a game plan of I'm going to you know, play my early threats, kind of get the game to a point where it's some sort of parody. I'm going to play my Murktide region with Counterspell backup, and this is going to be good enough, is that, like, instead, what you could be doing is playing all the same early game and then just overpowering with just the raw strength of that early game, again, with an Underworld Breach kind of acting like your Treasure Cruise or sometimes being just a combo piece in the deck that plays some of the same strong early game elements. And so... Um, I think that Murktide region is in kind of a tough spot right now. Just the card is because it's still, it's still targeted in that way. It's still, um, you know, it's, it's the card that's easiest to know how to answer, right? Your deck's going to play removal. And if you're going to play removal, you're probably going to want some amount of unconditional removal or answers to a card like Murktide region. It's not a card that impacts the game immediately. Your opponent gets a chance to untap and interact with it before you get to use it. Whereas Underworld Breach does interact with the game immediately. And they're both kind of using the graveyard. So they're operating in the same space. But I think the way is that, um, you know, and if you look at Murktide, the way that people seek to answer it is by answering the Murktide region itself, not by really hating out in the graveyard. Um, even though you could try to do that, it's not necessarily effective because it's pretty easy to, like, end of turn some spells, make a 5-5 five, five Murktide region. That's still pretty good. Um, whereas in Underworld Breach, you really have to target the graveyard and shut it out, and that is kind of a lot easier for them to sidestep because the rest of their cards are so good. So I think that, you know, 
for me, in order to evaluate the card, I have to compare the two because it feels like Honorable Breach is really the, the runner-up mm-hmm. for that slot uh, or maybe now currently the front-runner for that spot. Um, but I think that I think currently I'd say that it's kind of a little bit behind Honorable Breach. Yeah, I, I am also sort of of that opinion. And you and I actually hadn't talked about this. So I was, you know, I really wasn't sitting up. I was curious to see where we'd go from here. But yeah, I think the fair breach stuff strikes me and just the breach stuff strikes me as the most powerful thing going on in modern right now. And, uh, you know, I, I was talking to some people about this and they were like, but Merc Tide is so strong. It, it, you know, wins the game so quickly. And I think that the, the incentives of fair breach to play with the cheapest cards, you know, one mana spells are often like the strongest things going on, especially in the current, you know, era of modern and just overwhelming your opponent with hyper efficiency. And then, you know, playing a breach to restock or just, you know, sort of bolt them out a couple times. I think it's actually very effective in current modern. I was talking to Zach Allen, who lost his win in two winnings actually for the 20K in modern playing fair breach, where he was just like, yeah, a lot of games I just played like a very, you know, tempo-y style game plan early got some damage across and then just you know eventually played a breach and bolted them like twice and then attacked with the drc or whatever and i won you know just didn't take that much while also still having a deck that can interact a bunch because the one mana cards are so strong these days so yeah i am of the opinion that the blue red interactive shells are quite good i think i like breach a little more than murktide um but it's like very clearly these are good decks and if you're listening to us and you're trying to figure out like what you want to play um in modern for like you know the rcq season coming up uh if you buy the murktide cards or the breach cards um as long as they're legal uh, i think they're going to always be at worst reasonable and that is really impressive because you know we're talking about these sort of being on the downswing the downswing is sort of like from being like a top five-ish deck to like lower top five six or seven areas like you know don't un- I, at least that's how I feel. I don't know how you feel about eight, but I feel like that's sort of the same general vibe you're giving off. Yeah, I mean, I would say I mean I have a friend locally who plays a ton of Murktide, and he's he's been a very successful Murktide player. But he just was like, you know, I have basically all the pieces. If I just buy some breaches and a couple other cards, I can kind of change between the fair breach deck and the Murktide deck. And it's really a, a question of whichever one's kind of in in flavor, which ones uh you know the the right deck to be in as i said like you know with underworld breach being kind of this other murktide region kind of card where you're going to leverage a graveyard for your advantage you're going to use that to pull ahead and and kind of take over the game it's just a matter of how that's playing out so when I mean, you can identify that people are kind of hating out what the breach deck's trying to do but maybe murktide region's a little better position you do that and when it's the other way around you can kind of switch that's a really really you know solid way to make sure you have a deck that's never going to be you know, not in a position to have a chance to win the tournament. Yeah. Uh, if you're someone who's going to be playing the entire RCQ season. And I'll say, you know, kind of just my own thing about Underworld Breach the card is that looking at even just the deck that won, I think it won the um, the Modern Super mm-hmm. over the weekend, it looks astonishingly like a Treasure Cruise deck from when Treasure Cruise first came out. It is kind of scary to me that breach is just a card that operates in that space of just turning and and only by playing a bunch of good cards in your deck do you get to have a card that's not ever one mana draw three cards but is almost always you know spend your whole turn doing this to have effectively drawn you know three or four cards worth of value um is like really really potent especially where it felt like a lot of the time if you didn't draw expressive iteration you're just kind of doomed because you needed that positive card advantage 
this card giving a lot of redundancy to that is and also being just this combo piece elsewhere it's just really really crazy to look at a blue red deck that looks like a treasure cruise deck and feel like it makes sense for that because that's you know just really really powerful yeah yeah i i think it's the best deck in modern um personally but yeah the the fair breach deck is very very strong in my opinion um hammer though still a good deck a deck that you you've played a bunch you know and i've recently picked up uh the mallet as it were uh, I still think Cameras are a great deck. And I think that there's a lot of things going on there. And it is one of the decks that has, you know, sort of continued to persevere through everything and has just sort of had to adapt with the threats going on around it for its splash. But it's still just, you know, a very good deck. And, you know, is getting a little bit of splash hate by Titan and Four Color Rising Up, which we'll talk about in a second. But not enough that I think Hammer isn't, you know, a playable deck by any means. Yeah, I mean... Uh... I would be the first to I maybe I'd be the last to let you know if Hammer was was not sure not in a good spot. But I you might be the last um, to admit it. I would definitely be the last to admit it to myself. Yeah. But I would admit it to you. I, I want you, the listener, to know. I would I would keep playing it, but I would tell you to stop. Yeah. Um but no, I think that uh there's a couple of things in the metagame that have shifted that made it so that Hammer is a little worse position. I think things like four color, things like um a little bit rhinos because the way they're built right now. Uh, things like Titan definitely are just, they hurt your overall positioning. The The way the metagame looks now is a little different than it was even like just a month ago uh, or like two months ago towards um, the SCG in New Jersey. But, you know, you're still going to be in a good position with the cards you play against blue-red decks. That's just like a, a matter of fact is that you are going to be doing similarly powerful things and making exchanges that are on the same level of efficiency as your opponents and you have states where you like just get a hammer on something and that's better than what their deck can do and with it better than what their deck can answer so that's still good and your deck's still really really powerful so you haven't really lost a ton there but uh yeah just a couple of things have kind of changed that have made hammer just be not in a position where it's beating all the best things people are playing it's kind of flipping against some of them or there's a couple a couple more boogeymen out there that are trying to eat you so Mm -hmm. Yeah, let's speak about the first boogeyman that sort of rose to prominence over the last couple of weeks uh, with the release of Albi One, and that was Amulet Titan. Uh, it got the Microsynth Bridge, which was a land that allows you to copy an artifact uh, by spending mana equal to the artifact's mana value. So this essentially meant, you know, you could play this card on one, play an amulet, and then on your next turn you have two amulets in play. Uh, and you can sort of start going off from there. And, you know, with the right cards, you know, if you have a bounce land and a grazer, you might actually just have more turn two and a ton more turn three kills. Um, and this deck, you know, quickly rose up, uh, you know, burst, burst through a lot of uh, tournaments, crushed them really, uh, but did run into its old natural predator of Murktide region. And the sort of nature of becoming more explosive and more all in did not help that matchup. So now players are sort of, you know, having to readjust and refigure out what's going on uh, along with something else we'll talk about here in a second that's really caused a thorn in their side um but abe do you have any sort of thoughts or opinions on the amulet time deck you know it was you know the start of all be one uh modern it was sort of like this was the deck everyone could not stop talking about yeah i think that like i said you know at where modern was when all be one came out was a very different place than it is now partially because of the fact that there was not a lot of Amulet Titan. There was not a lot of these decks performing, but this deck getting yet another way, it feels like every time, I mean, this is just me going to gripe about being a Hammer player playing as Amulet for a second. It feels like every time I lose that deck, it's because they assemble some sort of 
double amulet turn three and I just die before I get to do anything. Medic doesn't play the right kind of interaction for that. Or in the post-board games, I do have some interaction, but they also just have like a bunch of force of vigors. And so they interact with me pretty well. And then they just play Titan and I lose. And the fact that that entered the format with even more consistency than it had before, where uh, that made it a big problem for the format, especially with how good, um, you know, Underworld Breach had been, and also it kind of trying to slow down and it being a slower combo deck than Amulet was at that point. So, um, yeah, I'll say that it did become more of a drag racy deck, and uh, that hurts. But, you know, if you were ever a player who felt like they needed Amulet to kind of have their slower draws to beat it, that matchup has changed for you. And you should really, really reconsider your approach to it if you're having trouble with it, because it's not a matchup where you can ask for that anymore. They just have too many ways to be redundant on Amulet. Yep. And I, I think you hit the nail on the head with that one. And I love Amulet and can talk about the whole, you know, I think people forget that before I played Four Color, I was just, I was Amulet guy. I played Amulet all the time, but that's okay. Because uh, Four Color is back, so let's talk about Four Color, because this was the other thing that sort of developed, is players found out how strong Elishnorn actually is. And, you know, funny enough, Abe, against the uh, Titan deck, maybe you need to pick up Elishnorn for your Hammer deck, because Valakut doesn't work, Cultivator doesn't work, Titan doesn't work uh, on ETB. Uh, the deck sort of just falls over if Elishnorn hits the battlefield, and so it's actually given the Four Color decks a way to stabilize against them. It's also given them random hate against uh, all of the Mirrors, because in the mirrors, like people are leaning on leyline binding a lot and solitudes to answer things. So uh, we're not even talking about doubling any of our own stuff yet, but just in those two spots, it's good. And then randomly, there are a lot of decks in modern that rely on ETBs. Like as an antidote, anecdotal story, I played against goblins, all their removal and like card advantage involved ETBing. I played Elishorn, and suddenly they just had to like naturally draw into the combo in order to actually get me which is like not a realistic plan against the four color control deck and then the moment you ever double your etbs you're sort of you just going into turbo mode against them so four color sort of came back in a real way and we're seeing players really experiment and readapt and learn like hey when this deck was around it was really good against hammer it was really good against murktide it was really good against scam bad against creativity but three of the four probably most popular decks in modern right now this deck was good against it's kind of back. Let's experiment with it again. And we've seen it do really well. It won the man traders. I believe won the modern 20 K. Uh, if not, I put it like two or three players in the top eight. So this deck is sort of back in a real way. And there's just like a lot of different things you can do uh, with it. And modern, I don't know. Have you have any thoughts on it, Abe? I could obviously talk about it a bunch, but um, I'm curious. Yeah. I think that my only thought is that I think that we all really missed on how good Elshorn was in modern specifically mm -hmm. because you just don't think of like how hard it is to kill. And we talked about this with Murktide region with how it was so good. Cause it was hard to kill a seven toughness creature. Mm -hmm. But then the people were like, Oh, you can just solitude a seven toughness creature. Who cares? Yeah. We'll just play solitude decks. But like what happens when the seven toughness creature is also a torpor orb? <laughs> yeah. And that's like really, um, that's really kind of swung it wide open. And, and just torpor orb is an effect of like your opponent's stuff doesn't do things. A lot of modern decks are trying to do things, and so when your stuff doesn't do things, it's a lot worse, you know? Yeah, it's really true. And then your normally your Elishnorn decks do things, which is extra crazy. Yeah. Yeah, like the good thing about your cards, like when you two-for-one yourself on a Solitude, if you're two-for-twoing, it's a lot better. It's like you're drawing an extra card, kind of. Yeah. It's making the exchange even instead of you going down. And then when you turn witness back two things, it, oh, yeah. it just goes big mode. That's all I'm going to say about it. 
Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, the, the craziest part to me about playing this is that, you know, Emrakul is a card that players played to sort of one-up each other in the mirrors in the past and sort of, you know, have game against Control deck, have a little bit of game versus Murktide, a little bit of game versus Amulet. And Elishnorn is good in all of those spots uh, except for the Murktide matchup, sort of the one spot where you don't have that overlap. Uh, but it is so much better uh, when it's in play than Emrakul kind of ever was because Emrakul could get Solitude, which was a big portion of the mirrors. You would just like hold Solitudes for a long, long time. And then eventually Leyline Binding when that came out too. But you would just hold those cards and then you would be, you know, you would get like four or five for one. But like your deck was so good at recouping cards that if they weren't already like at parity or ahead, you could overcome and beat that. I've beaten many Emrakuls. In fact, I beat one this past weekend at the SCG, uh, you know, my opponent doing it against me because I had Elishnorn. And the moment I stuck Elishnorn, all of their cards immediately turned off. And, you know, players just, I, I'm just going to say, like, I think the Risen Reef builds are totally washed as long as the deck's popular. Like, if other people are playing the deck against you, your card advantage card cannot be Risen Reef. I don't care that it doubles up with the Elishnorn. You're too weak at answering Elishnorn. And that's why, like, my four-color deck, like, went up and added the Black Triumph finally and, like, plays all these verdicts and plays multiple Elishnorns. It's because it's so strong and so hard for so many decks to answer. So... Uh, I, I think that card really has a big future. And eventually, I think we could go back to Risen Reef, Elishnorn decks. But right now, when it's sort of the hotness and everyone's playing, you're playing the mirror like one and a half times a league slash tournament. I think it's just unacceptable to be on Risen Reef. Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, something that was often lost in the whole like Emrakul thing was that, I mean, the real value of Emrakul was that you would get to like shred your opponent's hand, right? You get to mm -hmm. make them spend all the resources for bad exchanges. Um, but. That only mattered because it then allowed you, instead of playing this endless grind game of profitable exchanges for each other, where you're just, like, slogging, your opponent can't keep up in the slog. But Elishnorn does all of that play dynamic that you accomplish with an Emrakul just by existing. Because you're going to get ahead on every exchange, and your opponent's going to not be able to get in on any exchanges. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I, th I think that's definitely, definitely crazy. Yeah. I'll say this before we move off it. Maybe Unholy Heat Traverse stuff's got to come back in four color so you can, you know, try and answer Elish Norns. And actually, you know, like, it isn't a good look, but double Unholy Heating or, like, Unholy Heating with a Renin 6 isn't the worst way to answer one of these things. So that might be, you know, sort of the future move away from Eldon Recall stuff. I'm sure I'll have plenty of time to talk about that in other areas in the future, so I'm not going to waste y'all's time with that. I do want to talk a bit about four color creativity slash five color creativity because I do think it benefits a lot from the four color deck rising up in popularity. Um, that was a matchup that when the creativity deck first broke on the modern, that is why it broke on, right? It was a deck that was preying on the four color decks. And as the four color decks have gotten smaller, you can actually see their hate cards now more. It's still a little bit closer, but that four color creativity deck also got a bunch of big upgrades to cards like Leyline Binding recently. In fact, uh, some creativity players, Abe, have adopted Elishnorn as one of their things that they can cascade into out of their sideboard and just being like, this is what I do in the mirrors or whatever um, in other matchups too. So it is a very good deck. It is like, you know, I'm of the opinion that like Fair Breach, Hammer, Normal Breach, Creativity, Scam are like the top five decks and I have Murktide at like number six and four color at like maybe 6B. That's like where I'm sort of at on things, but... Yeah, that sounds about how I feel about the format, too. And I think that, you know, one of the reasons that creativity is in that upper echelon is that... And there's something we talked about with just the Urza Saga's decks in general and why they were so good against the Murktide decks. And when Murktide was, like, deck A, 
and why they started to rise prominence is that um, it was really about setting up positions where you would force your opponent to have to expend all their mana on one turn, and then you would untap and punish them, right? That was that was the dynamic, and Urza Saga really played well into that. It does it in Hammer, it did it in the early uh, Breach decks, uh, the combo Breach decks, and it was really about pinching them on a single turn. So that meant that Creativity as a deck that gets to play with its mana open a lot is really appealing. It gets to fight over those early turns that are so pivotal where the decks that are trying to um, to like leverage their early pressure into something unfair, um, it gets to leverage its early interaction into doing something unfair where it gets to leave its mana up, just hit some land drops, maybe take a turn to cast a run and six, but that's acceptable. Um, and then you know, have the opportunity to go over the top of you by, you know, just putting smart guns into play and that being better than what you can deal with. So I think that that dynamic continues to be good and decks that are a little bit clunky in the way that they have to interact in the early game, like four color that seek to kind of make it out of the early game into doing more powerful things um, rather than be able to kind of get position early. Four color creativity is just in that in that sweet spot and while it does have its um, its bit of issues with uh, like the rise of more blood moons and um, you know decks like scam can be really tough for that reason and and there are ways to beat it. I think it's really benefited the most from the general play patterns. And I think the new the kind of new players of the format uh, benefit them a bit as well mm-hmm. uh, to to increase that positioning. I mean, we saw in the um, in that super, I believe that three of the top four. Mm-hmm. were creativity decks so um you know like creativity is definitely an archetype that if you're someone who's not really about the uh not really about the the ragavan life but you still want to want to operate in that space of of playing something a little bit unfair a little bit um or maybe you're not a, an elish norn truther and you want to you want to archon people kind of a comboy person that deck is really, really good for that and is still absolutely contender. Um, and there's tons of ways to build it too. It's deck that has had a, a ton of different builds succeed on Magic Online from a bunch of different players that you can look into if you really want to get into the weeds about that. I know I've been working with uh, with someone in coaching on that and the deck is just really, really interesting. Yeah. yeah there's a lot of play and a lot of different ways you can take the deck and build your deck. So I big agree on those sort of things. I feel like that covers a lot of modern. Modern's one of those formats where we could spend, like, we could really start going wider and wider with our fisheye lens and, you know, talk about a lot of decks. But I think for the sake of getting you ready for RCQ season and that sort of thing with this sort of lead time, talking about this sort of top decks now, they are probably not going to change too, too much unless March of the Machines, uh, or Machine, sorry, it's one machine, uh, uh, changes things drastically, you know, so maybe battles are just totally game-changing, whatever. But for the most part, these should be really safe. And I kind of went in this on Abe. If you had to suggest, you know, like two decks for people if someone's sort of, you know, wanting to think about, start working towards an RCQ season deck and they start saving money, we're sort of buying the pieces now. What might be the two-ish things that you're thinking about that you think- I would say if you're, if you're brand new to getting into modern, you really want to just make one set of purchases and really like write it out. I would say just getting into the- Murktide deck and the overlapping stuff for the fair uh, breach deck and just kind of understanding the two pivoting between the two based on what people are playing really just learning those things you'll be playing a lot of the same core things really learning the same core muscles of like okay how is it that i'm going to play these ragavan games versus the drc games versus you know how am i playing with counter magic or the removal 
Um, a lot of your games are going to look the same. It's going to be really transferable between the two decks, and you're going to be able to to do that also at a, not a low cost, because it's hard because modern is a difficult investment, but a lot of your most expensive pillars, you're going to be playing in both decks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I basically agree. I think that I would say whichever one of the fair decks, either Merktide or Breach, sounds the most appealing to you, it's really hard to go wrong with either of those. And so I would pull the trigger on whichever one you think you're going to enjoy the most. And then I would pick up probably the creativity cards. I think that gives you two different styles of decks. So if things aren't really going super well locally, uh, you're going to have some to pivot. Like Abe mentioned, you're going to, a lot. it's going to make sense no matter what, but some of the, the lands and stuff transfer between those decks and some of the spells do as well. So you're going to save yourself a little bit of money there. You're going to have to be a little bit expensive because mana bases are awkward, but um, you know the creativity decks are really strong and they cover different aspects of the metagame and it sort of gives you a wide array of decks that you can play for each weekend. Um I'm sure Spencer would be pro-creativity and Merktide. I know those are the two decks he loves, but I don't know what he would give the listeners. So, listeners, if you're watching on YouTube, comment below, what do you think Spencer's two decks would be? Abe, do you want to take your shot in the dark? Do you think it would be creativity Merktide? I think creativity Merktide is a good bet. I -hmm. think that Spencer might... uh, He might throw a little bit of curveball and go creativity hammer. I could see that too. Because yeah. Hammer is, especially if you're going to get into two decks, Hammer is on the lower end of a modern deck right now, if I recall correctly. Yeah, um, I mean, I think it's only like $600. You know? Yeah, and, and you could also you could play Mono White Hammer and not worry about the fetch lands or, you know, just get some campy lands. Or Urza Saga is the expensive card. That's a good card to own. Mm. You know, Stoneforge Mystics are a little bit expensive. Also not a terrible card to own. But a lot of your pieces, your core, is ornithopters yeah this losses hammers you got a core outfitter in there you don't even know when that card was printed mm-hmm. who needs to yeah easy i like it by the way i'll just say this real quick i know there's it's always a lot of tension i don't know if you have this a where some people talk to me in coaching about like oh do you think ragavan's gonna make like it's expensive it's an expensive card i'm of the opinion ragavan is not going anywhere for like at least five years, especially with reprints, you know, like we saw in March of the Machine, it is in a new booster fund. Uh, I think you are good to go on Ragavans. I personally, when it first came out, got the fancy Ragavans. I love them. They were like 10 more bucks at the time. Totally worth it. Uh, I fully endorse, if you're going to be a Ragavaner and that seems like something you enjoy, pull the trigger on it. They're going to pay themselves off. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that Ragavan is... Uh, is definitely a safe card to invest in if you if you want to own some cards to play with because it definitely feels the kind of card where wizards is betting on it being a pillar you know it's betting on it forcing people to care about the early turns of the game uh, and being able to remove creatures and things like that in a way that doesn't necessarily uh do it in an unfair way like when you're playing a ragavan deck you're, you're doing something kind of fair you're you're, you're attacking people you're, you're getting on the battlefield. You're getting into combat, and they love that. So love love your Ragavans. Get them well-loved if someone's not loving their Ragavans, and uh, you'll be you'll be happy for a long time. Yep. That's going to do it for this week's main topic. Hopefully you enjoyed that. We're going to move on to our Patreon question of the week. Uh, if you want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash ccmtg. It's the way to support the show. The show will always be free, but if you go there, you get access to the Discord. You can talk to us and other like-minded Magic players. There's always some conversation going on there. You also get to ask a question each week on the show. Uh, sorry, you get to ask one and we pick one to talk about. Uh, we don't talk, answer every question sent in. But this week we got a question from a listener asking about what we thought about the RC 
uh, from Japan over the past weekend. Are there any sort of standard decks that jumped out to us? So Abe, did you see anything from the RC of Japan that really jumped out to you that, you know, you're sort of looking at interested in? Yeah. So um, this is a deck that I know a lot of people have talked about, uh, at least in, in my circles, as soon as they saw it as being a really, really cool deck. But the Selesnia, like, toxic aggro deck that Ray Sato played uh, at the Japanese RC, that deck is, like, it took a lot of things that I was thinking about uh, leveraging that I didn't have time to really get into um, and exploring and put them into practice. Something that really stood out to me when Mono Red won the, or when Yeoman, Yeoman 5, shout out to him, um, got second place in a standard challenge the other week was that he was talking about how really the deck leveraged action economy is how I described it, but really just the efficiency the ability to play a bunch of cheap cards that interact with the, with the game uh, and interact with the board so that they can get ahead and kind of snowball the game uh, away from decks that are being a little too slow, caught up in a little bit of an arms race with each other being a little clunky. It was really punishing that. And this green white deck, uh, which it, it's curve tops out at three. I just want that. Like, it's really just one, one and two drops. And then, um, like, Annex Entry and Bloated Contaminator as the top end. And that's it. The deck is really, really lean. And because of that, it gets to leverage that same effect of being super low to the ground, interacting really well, taking a bunch of favorable things. But it's doing it in a way that is... Um, better against other people doing the same kind of thing with the mono red cards, right? So if you're trying to just attack a bunch, you're going to have a hard time if my deck is entirely putting bodies into play. And we've talked about it before on the show where creatures have a really low fail rate, and this deck plays a lot of creatures that are just a little... When they, they're played together, they're just a little bit better than the mana you're spending into them. And the decks that are, you know, stumbling because of their mana bases, or um, you know, decks that are trying to get under you, you're not going to room to get under you, and you're actually punishing them for stumbling. So I really thought the deck was interesting. It's, it's kind of become a front-runner um, for me to explore for the RC as well. Yeah. It's also very cheap. <laughs> yeah, we can talk yes. about price and everything. It is just like an all v one block constructed deck for the most part. But yeah, I think the deck is really good. Also, if you're interested in listening to you go and talk about the mono red deck more, uh, he did an episode on Mythic Cast with Spencer and Michaela. That's on the network there. So you want to check out Mythic Cast, their newest episode, Head Yeoman. Uh, yeah, I, I really like the green white deck as well. I think Skrelv's Hive in particular is a really strong card when lined up against Grixis and just like they cannot really beat it unless they sort of have an early start that sort of curves out on you and then they sort of catch up with some card or like have, you know, just sort of the stone cold nuts the whole time, you know, and just like have it all. So I, I think Skrull's Hive is a card that's really well positioned right now. I really like that deck. I'm really glad we got to talk about it. I think it's really good. Um, the one that jumped out to me is one that I think Spencer mentioned in the show two weeks ago, and we talked about a little bit the one where I first came back, but Mono Blue Tempo, I think that deck uh, has always been pretty good. We saw um, Natoya, I believe is how you say his last name, uh, at the RC in Japan get third place with this. Um, while I'm not in love with sort of Delver of Secrets in this deck still, I think this general like idea of playing the Mono Blue cards, leaning on things like Negate now instead of um, Spell Pierce in high numbers, you know, even having like a Blue Sense Twilight in your main deck, really just trading cards effectively with Make Disappear. Uh, and what is the uh, Scatter Ray is the new mana leak for creatures and vehicles. But yeah, this, this deck is, I think, really good. And just Flow of Knowledge gives you such a strong refuel card that... Um, you can just sort of overpower people. So 
I really like the looks of this sword deck. And honestly, it's called Tempo, but really it plays out like a mid-rangey deck, especially if you cut your Delvish Fertilarian Terrors. If you do that swap, and I've played this deck a fair bit since then, it actually sort of plays out like you just sort of trade cards with your opponent and then you stick like, you know, one thing and then you turn into a Tempo deck. But you're not really trying to go under them in a real way. You're just sort of trading off and then your Shieldred that was left on the battlefield is just, you know, a Hottie Gen or a Talarian Terror. You know, you just clear the way and do your thing. So uh, I really like this deck. I think it is uh, pretty well positioned. And, you know, it's something that I think is a real play on the RC. And players have uh, discounted it because they think that, you know, Delver is something they can very easily answer as uh, Grixis. And while that's sort of true with some draws, especially if players play things like Spell Pierce, it can be actually really hard to sort of answer all these things early and not get run over. So uh, I think this deck is really great. I'm really excited. And it's one of my early front runners for the RC. So. Yeah, my experience playing against this deck has been, like, it usually goes in two phases. Like, oh, wow, they're playing mono blue, easy win. And then, like, one of two things happens. Either I get a little scared because I, like, need to draw that removal spell for the Delver of Secrets and, like, force it through and find the window, and I do. Or my opponent casts Flow of Knowledge once, and I'm like, ooh, that's pretty bad. They just, like, drew six cards and discarded two islands they didn't need. And then they cast the second flow of knowledge. They drew off the first flow of knowledge. I'm like, I am going to die now. So, uh, yeah, I think that I definitely think this is a, a pretty safe pick in terms of decks that are, like, going to be well positioned. I think, like you were talking about, the threat package can be played with a bit. Um, I could see Delver being a little bit better if you're expecting, like, more of the white mid-range decks or, like, the Atraxa decks, things that are... Um, a little bit slower in playing to the board and where you need your mana a lot more, like definitely for the reanimator decks where you want to make sure you're always leaving out multiple pieces of counter magic. Um, I can see wanting to get the Delver down early, but just in general, being able to play all of those things, um, you know, being able to play, play a deck full of counter magic when that's like one of the best answers to these reanimator decks, uh, playing something that, you know, has a game plan that punishes kind of the clunkiness of some of the mid-range decks and also just getting to play a card that says draw eight. <laughs> or whatever it is is um never a bad place to be yep that's gonna do it for this week's episode of constructorism uh if you want to find me you can head on over to twitch.tv slash the mason clark you can head over to twitter at mason e clark you can find me each and every week on card kingdom this week i wrote about more standard leading to the rc so if you're looking for standard content and prep there we'll have that we're also going to have a standard episode i believe next week as well so get excited for that we're gonna go over some of all these rc results talk about things get you all ready for the uh united states rc and the uh rc after that i can't remember which one i think we're second to last this time regardless you can check out all that sort of stuff and if you're interested in coaching feel free to reach out to me via my email masonyclark at gmail.com my twitter dms or i also have a patreon uh that has like you know a message function you can get me there if you don't have you know one of those things uh abe where can people find you you can find me over at twitter.com slash more nothings uh i am still offering coaching i still have probably one or two more slots available for people um if you want to get in on that uh you can either send me a dm on twitter or you can send me an email at more nothings at gmail.com uh really short and sweet there just really a twitter guy so nice that will do it for this week's episode. We'll see you all next week for another episode of CCMTG.